Can we turn back in God's word to Genesis 37? What I hope to look at this morning, and again this evening, is the relationship that Joseph has with his brothers and the way that that relationship breaks down and then later on is healed. So Genesis 37, and we'll read again verses 3 and 4. Now Israel, that is Jacob, loved Joseph, his son, more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now you're familiar, I know, with the family of Jacob with his twelve sons. Uh, Joseph is the brightest star among them. Uh, some of them at this stage certainly are uh, very wicked uh, sons and a real disappointment to their father, Jacob. Now we see in verse 4 that these ten sons, the older sons and Joseph, hated Joseph. They also show, especially at the end of the chapter, where they, they come and comfort Jacob, knowing very well what's happened to Joseph, they, they show a great contempt for Jacob, their father, as well. It is in this family, in other words, uh, severe shortcomings in the relationships that exist between Jacob, the father, and the sons, and in the relationships that exist between the different sons, and especially between Joseph and his brothers. Now, I'm going to ask one simple question this morning for us all to answer before God and to help us to understand why our relationships break down. That is, why do sin and alienation come into our life? Very simple question. If we have sinned in any way, why did it happen? If our relationships with our parents, our children, our brothers, our sisters, our friends have broken down, why? Why is this? alienation. Why are things not as intimate and as close as they ought to be? Why? What happens to make sin part of our lives? What happens that we can be feeling great and going along fine and suddenly we behave in a way that is unreasonable, in a way that is hurtful, in a way that is not only displeasing to other people, but especially displeasing to God. Why did Joseph's brothers hate him? Why, if you look at this chapter, did they hate Joseph? There are three answers that we can immediately pick out of the scriptures here to that question. 
The first answer in verse 2. At the end of verse 2, Joseph was tending the flocks with his brothers, and Joseph brought their father Jacob a bad report about them. He came back to his father and he said, Do you know what my brothers are doing? Do you know how they're behaving? Do you know what kind of sons you have? And they hated Joseph because he told the truth. Because he told his father the way that the sons were sinning and misbehaving. They hated him because he told the truth. The second reason uh, in verse 3. Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. In verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more, they hated him. They hated Joseph because they said, we are loved less by our father than Joseph is. Now, of course, any parent knows that it's very easy to have a favorite son, and the favorite son is, is, I would expect, the one who behaves the best, the one who gets on the best, the one who pleases the parents most. And that's what Joseph was. He was a favorite son because he was the most pleasing of all the sons. He was the one that behaved the best. And he was the one that was most a fulfillment of his father's wishes. And therefore he was loved more just because he was a better person. And yet, because of that, ten of his brothers hated him. They hated him because their father loved him more. There's a third reason as well, explained for us in verse 8, after Joseph has told them his dream, his brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream. They hated him, thirdly, because of what was going to happen. They hated him because this dream indicated that one day he was going to rule over, him, over them. And they hated that. They hated that thought. They hated the possibility that their younger brother, whom they hated anyway, would become ruler over them. And so they hated him all the more because of his dream, because of something that was going to happen. There's nothing wrong with Joseph ruling over them. It was a fact it was going to happen. And yet, because of it, they hated him. Now why do I uh, look at all these reasons? Well, simply for us to see that they hated him without a cause. Because you see these three reasons that we've looked at. They're not reasons at all, are they? There is no reason for Joseph to be hated. The three reasons why the brothers hated him are not really reasons. You see, when we say something is a reason for something else happening, then we mean that it is caused by that thing and that there is a kind of logical pro progression. For example, 
uh, when we stopped outside the church today, we pushed the, the pedal on, on the, the brake pedal on the car, and because we pushed the brake, the car stopped. It's cause and effect. It's a very simple thing. And if we say, well, the brothers hated Joseph because of these three reasons, then we're making it look like it's something inevitable, something that had to happen, that there was no other thing that could have happened, that they had to hate him, that they were caught in this situation, and because Jacob loved Joseph more, and because Joseph told Jacob the truth about them, and because Joseph was going to rule over them, somehow there was no other course for them but to hate him, that it was a necessity, that it was a, an unavoidable and inexorable consequence. But the fact is, as you can see, these three things that the brothers might have given us reasons for hating Joseph are really, truth be told, excuses for hating Joseph. They're not reasons. They're excuses. It's not something that had to happen. It did happen. And the brothers could use these three things as excuses. They could say, well, we hate because we're loved less by our father than Joseph. We hate because he's going to rule over us. We hate because he went back and told our father what we were getting up to. But these are excuses. They're not reasons. They're excuses. And it's really important for us before God today to understand the, the difference between a reason for sin and an excuse for sin. And if we were to really go into this in great detail, we would find that there is never ever at any time, in any place, under any circumstances, a reason for sin. There are excuses, but there are never reasons. Sin is never a logical consequence of our circumstances. Sin is never an inexorable result of our circumstances. It is not necessary for us to sin. We are under no obligation before God when he puts us in certain circumstances to sin. And in our own society today, there is a great deal of effort made to make it look like sin is something that is unavoidable, that is rational, that a reason can be given for it. For example, we're told about homosexual behavior, that it is, it is a rational thing, that it is an inexorable thing, that it is a logical consequence of your genetic composition, of what you've inherited for your parents, that it is something that, that is logical, that it is something that cannot be avoided. And therefore, what comes from that is that it's okay, because you can't avoid it, it's okay. It's okay to, to be an alcoholic because you were born up, that's what we're told. It's okay to have a short temper because that's just the way you are. It's okay to be prone to certain temptations because of the way you were brought up. 
and because of the environment you live in and the circumstances you have to cope with. It's okay because these things are a logical consequence. That's what people want to believe today. I suppose we've always wanted to believe it, but now with advances especially in science, uh, the connection is somehow being made between the way you are genetically and the way you behave. Now I know that the way that we are genetically makes some patterns of behavior more likely. But the way we are genetically doesn't make sinful patterns of behavior unavoidable. And we can never therefore come to God and say, well, I could not help it. I couldn't help hating Joseph because that was in my genes. I couldn't help hating Joseph because the circumstances made it unavoidable. In fact, what God is saying to us here this morning is very simple. If we sin, whatever that particular form of sin or pattern of sin may be, it is not something that is rational, that is, that is a logical consequence of our environment and our upbringing and our genetic uh, makeup. It is something that is inexcusable. And what we may say is a, a good, solid, logical reason why we sin is nothing more really than an excuse. The fact is, we're sinners. The fact is that the reason that we sin is not the cause of the way we were born. And it's not because of faults in our upbringing. And it's not because of pressures we're under. The reason that we sin is that we're sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ has been under our pressures. The Lord Jesus Christ has known what it is to be under pressure to sin. But he didn't sin. Because sin is not something that is unavoidable and a logical consequence of where we're at. Sin is because we, before God today, are sinners. That is our essential nature before God. And it shows, doesn't it? It shows in me and it shows in you and it showed in Joseph's brothers, as showed in Joseph himself. It comes out. Later on in the chapter, we read about the way that the brothers hated that thing that was in them, came out. First of all, it came out at the end of verse 4, they couldn't speak a kind word to. But it simmered away there, and what was in their nature came out. Finally, in their murderous intentions towards their brother, they ended up selling him for their own gain. But what was in them came out. It wasn't that what was outside of them pressed in upon them and made them so that they had to sell Joseph to be a slave. It wasn't that they couldn't help it. 
It wasn't that it was excusable because they were all genetically weak and they didn't have a hope of doing anything else. It's because they were sinners. And our behaviour over the past week testifies to that perhaps in different areas of our lives and what we've been thinking and the things that we've been mulling over in our minds and the things that perhaps we've been brooding over and perhaps the way we've behaved in our different relationships we've maybe hurt people we've maybe lost our temper or we've been bitter we've nursed a resentful spirit or maybe it's come out in much more open ways than that too but it does come out because we're sinners not because of the way we are genetically or environmentally or as a result of past circumstances but because we are born sinners and we are sinners and that is how we come to God this morning in our worship and in our prayer and the consequences of sin can be very terrible they were in Joseph's circumstance because what eventually happens although it results in good in that Joseph is able to become second in command in Egypt and feed, feed Egypt to the, the grain that is stored up. It also results in Israel, the nation, spending 400 years in, in Egypt as slaves. So that it had a terrible consequence and you can all trace it back to this hatred in the heart of his ten brothers. And there's no knowing what consequences our own sin can have. And what we call small and little and insignificant can blow up into something very, very terrible and unpleasant and hurtful. Because it's in us. It's just a plain, unavoidable fact of our lives that we are sinners. And that is why we sin. The fact is that this sin which we see in, in uh, Joseph's brother's it keeps on repeating itself throughout history. If you look at the Gospels and you look at the way that Christ was treated, you find such amazing parallels between Joseph and his brothers and Christ and his fellow Jewish people. Jesus himself said to his own people, he said, you have seen my miracles. And yet, he said, you have hated both me and my father. And yet this happened to fulfill what is written in your law, he said. They hated me without a cause. That's what we sang in Psalm 35. They hated me without a cause. The same thing again. The brothers hated Joseph without a cause. In Jesus' day, they hated him without a cause. What possible reason can you give for hating Jesus Christ? And they hated him without a cause. There was no reason. There were many excuses. There were many uh, false reasons given by the people for why they hated him, why they treated him the way they did. But in the end, it was true they hated him without a cause. And indeed, they probably used the same three excuses that the brothers used. Because Jesus brought a bad report 
about the, the Jewish people. He told them the truth about the way they were before God. <coughs> Jesus was loved more by his Father in heaven than his people, the Jews, as a whole. And they resented that because they could see that God was with them. And Jesus himself spoke about ruling over them, didn't he? And they hated that as well. And they hated him because he claimed he was going to rule over them. The same thing. The same hatred, without a cause, repeated in the way that Jesus was treated. But the fact is, to bring it right up to where we are this morning, this hatred can be in us as well. Because there is no logical reason why we should not end up hating Jesus Christ. We can't say, I could never do that because it's not like me. I may have my faults, but that's not going to be one of them. I'm not going to hate Jesus because the fact is we're sinners. Just like Joseph's brothers. Just like the Pharisees and the chief priests, just like them, we are sinners. And there's no reason why we ourselves will not, in the end, hate Jesus. And why we ourselves should not, in the end, do with him in our own heart and in our own lives what his own people did to him when they crucified him. And unless we have, in our own lives, submitted to the Lordship of Christ and received his Holy Spirit into our lives, there is no reason why we too may not end up where the brothers were with Joseph, where the Jews were against Jesus. There is no reason, because sin is not a reasonable thing. That's what this whole thing is about. Sin is without a cause. Sin is not logical. It's not something that happens because of a prior set of circumstances. It's not something that happens because of some uh, determinism in our lives. It's something that happens because we're sinners. And it can break out in all kinds of chaotic and unreasonable ways that we don't expect, that we don't understand. Why did I do that? Why did I behave in that way? We don't understand it. It happens. It's there, it's a reality, it's undeniable. Why did I do that? We don't know. And we may end up hating Jesus Christ. Why did I do that? And we'll not know that either. That is why when we sin, we must never justify it. We must never say, well, I did that because I had to do that. I did that because there are a number of reasons that made it unavoidable. Sin is not like that. Sin is not reasonable, it's not rational. And as long as we justify it and explain it away, we will never ever truly come to that place of receiving salvation through Jesus Christ. 
Because as long as we make it look like something we couldn't avoid, something we had to do, something that's just us, we will never see our need of Jesus Christ. You know, when God comes to us and asks us about our sins, do you know what he says to us? I think it's really very significant. When he came to Eve in the garden, what did God say to Eve? Did he say, why did you do that? When he came to Cain, when Cain had murdered his brother, did he say to Cain, why did you do that? If you look back in Genesis 3 and 4, you find that God actually said, What have you done? He didn't ask for a reason. He didn't ask Eve to start explaining and going into great detail about why she couldn't help it. He didn't ask Cain to start running off his excuses for what he'd done and how he couldn't help it. And he doesn't come to us today and say, Why have you done this? Why did you behave like that? Why did you say that? Why are you thinking in this wrong way? He never asks us, why do we sin? Because he knows that sin doesn't submit to that. You can't say why. You can't say, well, it's just a logical thing. God never asks why. He asks what? He asks, what have you done? Because it's a fact to be confessed not a failing to make excuses for. And before God this morning, we're here. We face God not as people who can excuse ourselves and who can explain away what we are. We face God as people who simply get asked by God, what? What have you done? And who are simply required by God to tell him. No excuses. No reasoning. No attempt at an explanation. No minimizing what we've done by pretending that we couldn't help it, that it was unavoidable. He simply asks us to say, this is what I have done. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we excuse our sins, he is faithful and just to condemn us for our sins because we are sinners. So the first step that Joseph's brothers don't take for more than 20 years, they do take it eventually. We'll see that this evening. The first step is confessing sin. Not explaining or excusing or minimizing or dismissing, but confessing sin. Because God will never come to us and say, why did you do that? We may say that to our children. 
and we're just encouraging them to think of excuses. I think we should say to them, what have you done? So that they may simply face what God wants us to face. That there are no excuses, that there is no unavoidable reason, that it is simply a fact to be confessed, not a failing to make excuses for. God help us this morning to be honest and open and straight with him and confess our sins so that he may be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness by the blood of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we must confess before you that the very hatred, the very sin, the very alienation that we see in the family of Jacob is something that we are completely familiar with in our own lives. We know what it is for our relationships with others to break down. We know what it is to sin. Forgive us, Lord, that we also know what it is to excuse our sin and to make it look like it doesn't matter. We ask, Lord, that today as we have studied your word, we may not have the failing of Joseph's brothers, may not have the failing of those who crucified Christ, may not pretend that our behavior is all right. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be honest and to simply confess so that we may be forgiven and so that we may know reconciliation. Reconciliation with one another. Reconciliation also with you, our God, so that we may know your love and your healing working in our lives, your Holy Spirit breaking through the walls and the barriers that we have put up and uniting us closer and closer to one another and more and more closely also to you, our Father in heaven. We pray that you'd hear us now, for Christ's sake. Amen.